ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. You have found my podcast. Um, as usual, if you uh, like this content, please share it with your friends. And of course, if you hate it, please share it with your enemies. Uh, today, my guest is a... Uh, well, I'll let him, I'll let him in introduce himself, but uh, he calls himself uh, Chris Martinson. Um, I'm going to call him Cassandra for the purposes of simplicity and accuracy. Uh, but uh, Dr. Martinson, how are you doing uh, this afternoon, this morning, I suppose? Very, very well. And, and I just have to announce to the world, I finally settled on my pronouns. Um, <laughs> they are they are Corey and Merrick. So, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've got that that settled, uh, uh, it's uh, it, it is a uh, a pleasure to uh, to connect with you one on one. Likewise, uh, we likewise. we appeared uh, together previously on uh, Gonzalo Lira's uh, roundtable, and um, I I first encountered you um, at the beginning of 2020, and I'm I'm so fascinated because you were one of the people initially who I was watching, who was of course months and months ahead of the news cycle, um, and and it's funny because I, I watched your journey and um, and I and for a while I stopped watching your videos because um, what, what do you call the uh, an adjustment reaction? I think you you it was a term yeah, you used yeah, yeah. where I, where I was like, this is just too much fear porn. I can't watch this. But I but I'd still see your thumbnails and, and it went from like, you know, it's it's more dangerous than you've been told uh, to I'm not that worried about it anymore to something weird is going on to uh this is not about health and uh there's really really scary stuff going on and uh you know get prepared because something messed yeah. up is happening so i would just love to for you to introduce yourself uh, first and foremost and your qualifications obviously but also just tell me your journey through uh through this whole mess and then i'll shut up for like however long it takes for you to, to lay all that out for me <laughs> all right all right well great intro yeah uh, hi, everyone. Uh, Chris Martinson here. I have a PhD in pathology from Duke University. That means I went through full two years of medical training with all the, you know, first year med students. They went and put their white coats on. I went into a lab and uh, did, you know, pathology rotations and things like that. Uh, came out of there, did a couple of years of postdoc. I, would, I thought I wanted to go into teaching. And um, I got that's why I went and got the PhD. I like teaching. I like teaching at the collegiate level. I like fully formed minds. Um, I'm a quick learner. Eventually, I found out that that universities don't care if you're a good teacher or a bad teacher. They don't care. That wasn't the game. Uh, I watched really awesome teachers not get tenure. I watched people who couldn't, you know, manage a one on one conversation, you know, get tenure. So I, I realized that wasn't quite the game for me. I went and from there and got a MBA from Cornell and was in finance for a period of time. So, hey, I, I like data. I like numbers. I'm comfortable with all that stuff. Um, the kindest I can be to myself is that I had a moment of enlightened self-interest, which is, you know, 2000 happens and stocks are getting crushed. And I said, Hey, I, I have to, what, what's going on here? And I started, I'm a very curious guy. I researched the heck out of things and I started researching what was going on with our economic system. And all of this became a story that I had to tell the world. And I, I did a bad job at it. I, I would, I was telling basement church basements of people like horrifying, like eight hour lectures on like monetary policy and, you know, graphs. It was awful. Sounds exciting. Um, very exciting. But ultimately that became this thing called the crash course, which, you know, 2008, I put together and people can still find it at my website. You can find it online, but it, it's a big sort of a synthesis. It's a, it's a high level view that says, wow, the 
planet Earth with humans on it is on a very unsustainable trajectory. And I look at that through an economic lens, through an energy lens, through the environment, which is both stuff we take out and pollution we put back in. So that was my story for a while. That's what I was doing. I'm a very fast adjuster. I can figure out one of my superpowers is when a situation's breaking, I can figure it out pretty quick. Now, as of December 2019, I hadn't touched my science in quite a long time. I thought that was rear view. I was, you know, really using my research skills to peer into all things economic. And then my my scanning of the world revealed that something was going on in Wuhan, China. And so um, I fig- really came across my transom hard around the 20th of, de- of January. By the 23rd, I was putting out an alert to the world saying, hey, there's a really big thing happening over here. It's coming. You know, by the 24th, I was telling people using my superpowers, like, hey, you're going to want to get face masks, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, because these things are going to disappear very quickly. That's just simple understanding of supply chains and, and all of that. So so that this really got me reinvigorated with science. I understand science. I know I've done it. I'm a first author on papers. I've got publications. And I'll tell you, uh, from the 23rd of, of January, when I first put that warning out, I was completely out of step with U.S. media, which was saying, hey, it's just the flu. I was like, nah, pretty sure it's not because China, I don't know much about China, but I know they don't care enough about their human, human lives over there to shut down uh, an industrial center as large as Wuhan. They're treating mm-hmm. this serious. Maybe we should, too. If only because by March of that year, I was talking about supply chain issues and inflation that was going to come because again, all predictable. But where I first realized something was wrong with the story was on February 5th. Um, and by the way, my crash course has been viewed like many, many millions of times. I'm a published author. I got a book on it. I've had this website. So I've had, I'm saying that because I had this Wikipedia page had been up for 12 years. On February 5th, my Wikipedia page got taken down. Some, you know, anonymous wiki editor had said, this is a non-notable person. He's right. He doesn't, <laughs> He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm over here going, dude, it's not the flu. So I was I was out of step with mainstream media and and I got crushed for that, you know, uh, taken down. And I've been facing a lot of censorship ever since. You know, I've had a few YouTube strikes, da, 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 da. but I, I'm trying to set up for your listeners who I am. I'm fundamentally a contrarian. Like if the media says this, I'm automatically looking at that, you know, and and so I was out of step at the beginning of this thing. And I'm, I'm, I will tell you, I think the original alpha strain out of Wuhan was pretty bad. I was in touch with, you know, medical doctors inside the New York City system and in Italy, you know, at the time when they were facing that first March 2020 wave, this thing was killing people. Yeah. Right. But here's the nature of viruses. They almost always detune themselves. Right. And you had your Barrington Declaration folks saying, hey, you know, it's probably over time we're going to see these things detuning. I was starting to listen to other voices. I found that there were early treatments. I watched those early treatments getting suppressed by the machine in ways that were not scientific, not rational, not justifiable. I watched them demonize hydroxychloroquine, which I had 70 years of data. Here's I'm going to hold up my hands now. Here's exactly how many people had been recorded of dying from Torsad to Point, which is a, a precursor to a fatal heart attack, potentially. Hmm. In 70 years of watching this, billions of doses, hundreds of millions of people treated with hydroxychloroquine, there had been zero recorded cases of any heart issues. And within a month, it was suddenly so dangerous that my own GP said, oh, no, Chris, you couldn't possibly have hydroxychloroquine. We all know that leads to fatal heart issues. Like, no, it it doesn't ever (laughs) 
hasn't right so i watched this whole thing unfold and and um and then you know delta wave came out that was pretty badass that was not a good mutation but when omicron came out it came out in um what thanksgiving of 2021 was our first readout within a week i said that's it it's over you know this this whole thing the whole coronavirus crisis is over omicron's going to sweep the world and it's just not bad I was again badly out of step. You had your Eric Fagel dings and your topols oh out there going, "Oh, Omicron, most deadly, lethal thing." And the media was saying, "This is sweeps. It's five times more transmissive. It's gonna, you know." And they were just whipping it up, and I was again, media saying that. I was over here saying this. So I've just been out of step, you know, the whole way. First on the alert side, because I think there was a reasonable alert there to send out to people, and. And then later when it came to treatments and, you know, the actual deadliness of this stuff. Um, and even with all of that, I got to tell you that if we had the real statistics, like I think Ioannidis came out with way back, the Stanford professor, way, way, way back. I remember thinking he was out of step and it turned out he was exactly right. The infection mm. fatality rate of COVID, even the original precursor. Hey, take it seriously, but it wasn't worth shutting down the world over and it wasn't worth trampling human rights over and it wasn't worth trashing property rights and civil rights and all of that. It just wasn't worth it. it not even close. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, because of you, I went out and prepared early. It was a few other a few other YouTubers who I was listening to one in particular, I remember who said, uh, you know, the, the virus isn't going to probably isn't going to be that bad, but the reaction to it will be. So you probably mm -hmm. want to prepare for it. And I remember early February is when I began stocking up in New York City. I know there, there was one night where I was going from store to store, you know, I mean, I don't know how I must have spent maybe at least an hour walking around like lower Manhattan, um, going from like all these Rite Aids and Walgreens and CVSs and Dwayne Reeds. And um, even at that point, there were no masks anywhere to be found. So I had to order them from Amazon. Um, and the, the prices were already, you know, uh, uh, jacked up um, at that point. And I mean, I you know, but I was so thankful that uh, I had a, a window into into people like you and uh, Dr. John Campbell's another one I was listening to. And it was so amazing. It was sort of incredible because I saw this big media machine, which you were out of step with. Um, and they were, like you said, saying it's just the flu bra. And they were also focused on, you know, impeaching Donald Trump. Everyone was everyone was obsessed with that. I mean, the first time, the first impeachment. And um Meanwhile, I'm texting my friends. I'm like, "Hey guys, something serious is coming. Uh, stock up." And uh, here's the, the the statistics. And you know, when, um, people got annoyed with me, but at the same time, um, it was fascinating to watch it unfold because you had guys like you, guys like John Campbell, who were getting data and tips from all over the world in real time um, at such a at such a quick pace. And, um, you know, contacts from, you know, because I, I remember, the, you know, it's like, oh, something's happening in China right now. It doesn't seem cool. Oh, now it's in Iran. Something really bad is happening there. Oh, now it's in Spain. Now it's in Italy. It's going really, really badly there. So I was in, you know, such a New York way to start a sentence. But I was talking to my therapist and uh, in, in January and I was in her office with my gloves on. She had her, she, you know, she had her little, uh, <laughs> She had her little uh, uh, bottle of bleach over in the corner. I had my mask on and, and I was like, there's no way this thing's not here already. I was freaking out. And her office was in Chinatown, which I found funny, which was uh, it's more it was more empty than usual for um, the, the 
Chinatown was more empty than usual. I wonder why that is. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, you mentioned being out of step, and um, it was just so fascinating because, you know, do, are you someone who has always been out of step or have, or have the events of the last couple of years convinced you that it's actually the, better to be out of step than, than not? Oh, great question. Um, no, I wasn't always out of step. I mean, you're talking to a guy who was like, you know, center mass, got the right degrees. You know, right. when I said you know, I kind of left a few steps out of there. But when I finally exfilled from the corporate world to, you know, start this whole thing we call Peak Prosperity, my blog and all that, uh, I was vice president of a very large company, um, overseeing a lot of folks, had golden handcuffs. So I, I was fully in the matrix, fully. Do- I was like right there. And then just some things started to, you know, when I started researching, I'm like, wait, how can more people not know about this? So quick example. So I got the, I got the MBA. I mean, corporate finance, I was taught how to compete for money. Right. So they put you in the arena and they tell you all this stuff. I was very good at it. Right. So, you know, you got your accounting, you got your finance, you got this, you got that. And nobody ever taught me how the arena was made. So in a, as I started researching things, I came across this book called Creature from Jekyll Island, written by G. Edward Griffin. And it explains mm-hmm how the money is created in the system. It's not hard. I've taught it to fifth graders. It's pretty easy concept. Nobody's ever taught this. I'm like, sometimes you have to understand there's the lie of commission, right? They just flat out tell you something wrong. But more that was my first moment of going, this is the biggest lie of omission Hmm. I'm aware of, right? How do you not teach people how money is made? Because once you understand how money's made in the system, you go, oh, this is a scam right? It clearly benefits some people, you know, all the rest of us are over here. Oh, it's very real. Chris, if you run out of money, you end up under a bridge, you know, it's terrible. Uh, but you see how it's uh, the system actually works. I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> so once I, that was my first moment of going, wow, once I had that data, I was beginning to fall really out of step. Cause I'm out there trying to tell people who are still in the matrix over here. Hey, do you understand how the, how the system works, you know, and, and they, they didn't want to hear any of it. And, and to be fair, I was that guy just a few years earlier, but that was my first sort of wake up. And, and now I'm, I'm curious. I'm like, if I did not know that, what else don't I know? And so this whole thing has been a, a story of saying that to, to the spirit of your question, yes, this day here in 2022, I think that it's far better to be the person who understands the stories that aren't being told than the person who's fully conversant in the current narrative. This narrative is farked. It's wrong. It's life harming. It's life limiting. I mean, and we could do this by statistics, right? So the number of people who have severe mental health crises right now, right? I'm talking not just depression, which is situational. You know, my dog died or it's chemical. We can stabilize you, get you back up and send you on your way. These people are suffering suffering demoralization. So we have a, a fentanyl crisis. We have a, a suicide crisis. We have a quiet quitting crisis. Like a lot of people are not engaged with life. They are checked out. Right. right? And the reason you have demoralization is it's not situational. It's not chemical. It's that your cognitive map and reality no longer align. So, Hey, I grew up in a system. My cognitive map was go to work, work hard. You know, um, don't take that much time off, get 2.5 kids, accumulate a bunch of assets. There'll be some retirement. There's this social contract, you know, you do this and then, you know, these things will be there for you. And it turns out it's none of that's true, right? We're, we're busy hurtling in a direction, which particularly younger people are more acutely aware than older people who are locked in a, in a mindset. We're hurtling in a direction that is not good for us, that is not good for the planet. And frankly, it's completely unsustainable, right? I don't even know how you're like a 10 year old. You're like, 
they're like, oh, you know, we're going to watch you, track you, you, you know, you have a permanent record, you have to get good grades. Oh, by the way, the world is burning up and it's going to completely die, right? Like, how do you square that? And so what happens is that becomes a demoralization moment. Hmm. And so to, for people who are trying to make sense of this nonsense, Clifton, I, I, it's impossible and I feel really bad for people who are clinging hard trying to make sense of this of this nonsense world. But if you come over here into the silent big world of omissions, you find out all this stuff they haven't been telling you. And you get to find it out for yourself. It means you do your own research. You fall down some rabbit holes. But there's actually life over here. This is a place where you can rediscover that we're all here for a sacred purpose. We've got a soul's journey and we can live into that. But the first thing you have to do is you have to let go of this pile of crap they've been feeding us and get over here into this other place where you you begin to make your own decisions. So this has become fairly spiritual for me and, and very important. This is my mission is for myself to live as fully as I can. And I know I'm helping to wake people up. That's honestly the business I'm in. I could bore you with oil statistics, monetary statistics, COVID statistics. But truthfully, the reason I do any of this is because we have this opportunity and this responsibility, I believe, to be fully engaged because the future isn't written yet. But if we let these people write it, man, it gets dark. And that's provably true. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny you use the word uh, spirit. And, uh, you know, my listeners will know that, I, and I've mentioned this over and over again, but I'm actually pretty staunchly atheistic. However, over the past couple of years, I've began using terms like soul, like spirit, um, you use the word sacred. Um, I, I say good and evil. I've never used the word um, um, evil as much as I have in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, and I began to sense that there is a a void in people. Maybe it's my, my bleeding heart sort of sensitive artist nature. I mean, part of my response to COVID was uh, over time, I said that everything we're being commanded to do uh, in order to mitigate the spread of this virus is completely antithetical to any sort of vital um, uh, human, um, just a, a, a fulfilling existence. We're telling ourselves to cover up our faces, to, to keep separate from each other, to not to, to isolate ourselves. Um, you can't, you know, and I, I began to say, you can't, we can't do this for forever. But uh, going back a little bit, you know, I have this concept called the anti-matrix where, um, you know, everyone, of course, has seen the film where, you know, you take the red pill, you take the blue pill, you take the red pill, you can have your steak and your wine and everything is hunky-dory. You don't really know the horror of the of your true existence, of the of the reality of it. But in the anti-matrix, it seems like uh, everyone who's outside of it, like like you and I, we're saying, yeah, things are things are bad. They could be better, but it's OK. But everyone who's still in the matrix is going fucking crazy right now, yeah. whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's, uh, you know, yeah. whether it's covid, whether it's the um, the the climate crisis. Um, they're always in constant catastrophe mode. And I, I say, you know, I try to explain to people without sounding like a quote unquote conspiracy theorist, which is just a term for people who don't <laughs> agree with the government at this point. But um, it's. You know, there's this one sphere, which we were talking about earlier, which is people who are inside, they watch CNN, they, they watch, they read the New York Times, they, they, they swear up and down that they're the most informed, intelligent people on the face of the earth. Um, but yet, then there's people on the outside now, maybe for the first time ever, we have people on the outside who are able to look at what's happening on the inside of that other sphere and say, wait a minute, it's not really matching up right now. And I think part of, for, for me, my journey has been um, in, in terms of the, the darkness that you referred to, you know, I, I'm saying these people are so 
it's hard to kind of gauge the difference between sheer incompetence and and malevolence. And mm -hmm. increasingly, I say it, these people are just straight up lying. They are lying about what's going on and people are believing it. And it, it's, it can be really demoralizing to try to, to be one of the few people who says, you know, something isn't right about this and I can tell you why it's not correct. And yet you get this wall of resistance that says, no, you're insane. You don't know what you're talking about. You're selfish. You want people to die. You're an idiot. You're uninformed, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, uh, it's it, I think part of my journey has been getting past that uh, that level of demoralization and saying, you know, it's it's time to get back to a place as an artist, for, personally, time to get back to that place of, you know, producing things that are beautiful, that are transcendent, mm. that 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 are that take us out of the digital realm back into the analog, something that's more visceral that you can feel and 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 uh, an experience that you can you can you know take beyond yourself, which is which is different from this whole realm of everything is a crisis. You know, I, I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but um, it's just very interesting to hear your, to hear your journey about that, the, in, into the spirit realm and demoralization and everything. Oh, yeah, thanks. No, I, I was tracking that and a lot of places surface area on, on that set of comments. So I'll start here. A lot of people are being programmed by a machine that's become very, very good at programming them mm -hmm. right and so we've gone through these periods of programming in the past right so there were issues of like way back when i mean you go to wikipedia look at um mass psychosis events right so that there were outbreaks of violent dancing that people danced yes. themselves <laughs> to death at one point right uh there were outbreaks of witch trials and and you know germans turning really awful and and things yeah. like that we're in another one of those right now and and so Honestly, I truly believe that the people who are currently operating the system, I can't distinguish what they're doing. You say, is it intentional? Is it malevolent? Honestly, the malevolence, you used the word evil before. I can't distinguish what they're up to from a death cult, right? Because mm -hmm. I can provably tell you the direction they're going in is anti-life. It's anti-full right. expression of life. It's anti-beauty. It's And, it, and it's going to result in mass death. And they don't care. In fact, if you are in the death trade, you get a free pass, you know, like, are you Raytheon? Hey, here's some more money. Are you Monsanto? Here's some more money, right? I mean, we're really good at that stuff. But if you're a farmer, because I got a small farm here, who wants to put in a pond? Oh, my God, they're going to crawl all over you, right? right? There's rules, there's regulations. Oh, my God, there's wetlands to consider. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just bizarre. So I, I, I've developed this pattern recognition, because I'm fundamentally a pattern guy. That anything you want to do, if it harms people, man, you're going to get a free pass on that, really. It, mm -hmm. You know, with, with some some slight exceptions, right? You, you know, but but if you really do it in a big way, like the AMA, right? They're, they're just like toasting people. Uh, look at all the stuff down the memory hole. Are we talking about the 100,000 people who died from fentanyl this past year? Oh, you know, maybe we can blame a drug cartel in Mexico for using Chinese chemicals. That's the story. It's like, nah, really, honestly, why are those people even wanting to engage with fentanyl in the first place. That. Right. It is much deeper than that. And did we, were we really talking about the, you know, this Purdue Pharma was this big company run by the Sacklers. They gave us Oxycontin, right? Um, and they killed tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands. Hey, you know what? They got sued. Oh, the judge ruled that they had to like cough up like a third of their family wealth. Very painful for billionaires, right? It, it you know, Whereas if you're Alex Jones and you say something that didn't kill anybody but caused some distress, um, you know, you're out a billion dollars practically, right? So watching this happen over and over and over again, 
what I want to leave your listeners with is this idea that there is this better place to inhabit. Increasingly, I just let these people be the way they are. I've, I used to spend a lot of cycles trying to convince people of stuff. I don't anymore. If people want to be nuts, if they want to live a small life, if they want to believe the next hysteria, if they want to be just, you know, constantly fear programmed, that's fine. Uh, nothing I can do about that. But there's people waking up all the time. And this is where I put my energy because there's people waking up going, no, we don't want to be this way. We can do better and we need to do better. And so this is a, actually, I think there's a big movement happening right now. And I'm pretty stoked to, here's the good part of COVID. I found out who the intellectual frauds and the moral cowards were. And I found out their opposites too. So I have people I've literally never met, but we engage on Twitter and, and, you know, we, we have this online thing who I know are, are, we're best buds, right? Like these are people when we finally do meet, it won't matter what they look like or who they actually, you know, we, we are, we are now, we've been in this foxhole and we found out who you can, who you really can depend on. This is who we need to sort of pull together, stitch together. This is a movement. And um, I'm, I'm very excited to be part of that. Well, it is interesting because I'm seeing um, all kinds of people, uh, whether it's, you know, from, Neil Oliver and Brett Weinstein to you to myself, um, all these different people I'm seeing, you know, economists, um, scientists, um, some artists, staggeringly few artists. I mean, don't get me started on that mm. on that route. Um, but <laughs> well, we're all we're all uh, we're all converging around the same sort of conversation, which is, you know, it's different language, but there's some kind of I use the term void, but uh, it's, it's sort of like what you said. We're all saying like there, there's a, there's a, maybe it's a spiritual void. There's something that's missing for a lot of us, which which leads people to uh, to take drugs and to. I mean, myself, I'm in the I'm in the middle of kicking my marijuana habit, and um, and it's really funny when you mention that to people because they get really angry for some reason. I'm like, dude, aren't you a pothead? Why are you so mad? But um, it, it's, <laughs> but it's, but you have to confront. I, I say it's a journey for myself to confront what I've been, what I've not been engaging with. And part of it is this idea that, holy shit, I've been lied to my entire life. I mean, I, I've been sort of quote unquote red pilled since 2014, but to, I think with, with the, with the quote unquote pandemic, um, watching every single institution just completely fail um, or be exposed as fraudulent in some way has really, really been shocking. And um, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm still in a recovery phase of that. But I think, as you said, the, the positive thing, what's really exciting is that I'm seeing so many people from so many different walks of life begin to step up and say, something is really wrong and something needs to change. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. I'm glad glad to hear you say that. And uh, so I'm, I'm also, I, I was uh, deeply anti-religious for a long time. I had some experiences in life that I think I would consider myself spiritual. So I'm one of those flakes who's trying to like, you know, thread that needle. But mm. I, I, I think now I understand that because you look at any culture, any culture, you know, the Kung Bushmen to any culture, you'll find that every culture has religion. So if you walk around and you notice that everybody sleeps, everybody eats, everybody, you know, all humans do these things as part of the human experience. I'd been pushing that away because I, I didn't like, I didn't like the messaging that I was getting out of the kinds of religion I was exposed to. But now I understand that this need to have this spiritual, the why, like, what, what is this about? What right. are we really connected to? Right. That's a real need. And so, you know, as a quick diagnosis, I think what the left has done, they extirpated that said, Oh no, that's, you know, that's such an archaic thing. They don't go to church, but then they replaced it with Fauci. And 
you know, other expressions, I think, well, that that's the error right there, because you took your faith out of something that was going to be ineluctable, indescribable, larger, awe-inspiring, would, would encourage your better self, your actual soul to come out into this universe, and you replaced it with a human? Bad swap out, right? And with predictable results. So, so But I, I think ultimately, we're down to core messaging here. It's about freedom. It's about beauty. And I really think this is a, a judgment I have about my culture. Last few hundred years, we've lost the plot line, right? And one of the places that first struck me, it must have been 15 years ago, I'm going through Grand Central Station and with its beautiful curved ceiling and the Zodiac painted up on it. And I, it just struck me that this is like this building must have been hideously expensive at the time when it was literally horse-drawn, like it was muscle power, really building that for the most part with some light steam engines going on. And they still took the time to say, no, no, this is important. And they built it in a way that honors both the masculine and the feminine, these big, beautiful columns in this curved space. And, mm. and it honored both, right? And since then, what do we got? Well, now we put up these masculine skyscrapers and they're glass and they're austere, and they're, but they're not beautiful, you know? We don't invest in, in that beauty anymore. And so when you ask about like the opioid crisis, I think it's because we don't live in a beautiful culture anymore. Right. And the root of it, when we anesthetize ourselves, and means to take away, aesthetic, it's it's literally lack of beauty, anesthetizes to reduce that connection. So so we, we're, we don't have a beautiful place. You know, one of my greatest moments of time, like I'm good friends with Jim Kunstler, a lot of people know him for the, he writes something called uh, the Clusterfuck Chronicles over there on Kunstler.com. Great, great blog, great writer. Comes off as a public curmudgeon, but if you spend time with him, sweetest guy you ever want to meet. But man, is he a great architectural critic. So we were driving through Pennsylvania, going to some meeting or something, and just having him sort of run down the next strip mall zone and the next, you know, it, it's just such a terrifyingly unbeautiful landscape that we built for ourselves. It's disposable, it's ugly. And because of that, the deep thing is that people will defend the things that are most beautiful to them. Watch a mother defend her children, you know, watch, but what would, what would you defend? Like who, like, Hey, the Russians are coming. They're going to take over the Kentucky fried chicken out on the strip. I'm like, eh, you know, I, I don't know what we stand for here anymore, except, you know, kind of disposable cheese. It's just like not beautiful. So I think that's what people over here in this movement and where I want the artists more and more to step up is to say, let's make this beautiful again. You know? Well, part of the issue right now is that, um, and I've spoken about this before, is that um, so many of our artists, I think maybe part of it is a psychological thing, but I think part of it is the sort of temperament of the people who are drawn to the arts. But, um, and, you know, like, you know, I, I appreciate how you've said before, you know, I'm not left or right, I'm more up and down, but it's, it's really mm -hmm. difficult. Um, I mean, I tweeted a thread about this uh, yesterday, you know, it's really difficult not to pin everything that's wrong right now on this sort of left-wing ideology and in the arts in particular it's been a problem for a long time but you're, you're talking about people who are very very much steeped at least in the performing arts steeped in this sort of postmodernist, um, deconstructionist um, mindset where everything must be questioned and everything must be torn down and that, that that can be useful in terms of you know trying to create new work and question society and your reality and and um in an imaginative way, maybe maybe present some new ideas or new ways of thinking or new perspectives to uh, to your audience. But at the same time, I think these people are captured, possessed even, 
by a very cynical and nihilistic outlook. And they and they can't they don't really create that much, but they want to destroy everything. They want to destroy even the concept of beauty. They'll just say that it's a that the beauty is a a concept uh, a Euro, a white European concept, and that we are only uh, our only reference in here in the West, so to speak, is uh, is informed by a bunch of slavers and colonizers. And so it gives them free reign to dismiss any notion of what might be beautiful. There's a wonderful British conservative who passed away um, not too long ago named Roger Scruton, who made a 45 minute short film called uh, Why Beauty Matters. And that was one of the things that began mm. sending me on this journey. And, you know, it's, I'm somebody who I'm not sure I, I don't think I don't see myself becoming the person who will uh, you know, be praying and believing in a God necessarily. But I do. I am curious if art can create the sort of transcendence, uh, the transcendent experiences, even spirituals uh, or sacred experiences um, that we are missing in this culture. Because as you said, it's a very, it's just, it's a, it's a very unhappy, it's a very lifeless, uh, cynical, nihilistic culture. And the artists are partly responsible for driving that because you have this small cluster of people who are are generating this art you know the the health the, the barometer of a culture you know is is the art that it produces and so much of it now is just so um it's kind of dead inside it's very soulless and my my big frustration out of all of this is said you know we especially as actors as, as performers we in our loftiest and ambitions we are people who are supposed to be conduits and vessels of the entirety of the human experience right i think it was sarah bernhard the actress who was quoted as mm. saying that we need to be more human than humans and mm. You would think if anybody would understand the the events of the past couple of years and how we're being taken away from our humanity and how we're being forced to uh, or coerced, I should say, into giving over sovereignty over over our bodies, our very bodies, our freedom of movement, it would be the artists, but they've completely failed. And not only have they failed, but anyone who speaks up and says this is wrong is vilified and excoriated. And um, for me, you know, you said before you you found kind of, you know, who's trustworthy and who's not, I don't think I'll ever be able to trust these people again, or take them seriously. I, I just don't think that they, I don't think any, they'll create anything of permanence or lasting importance, like the sort of architecture that you're talking about, the sort of, you know, the Greeks, uh, or, or the, the Shakespeare's, the Chekhov's of our day. I, I just, you know, if, if these people are so, I think one of the biggest tragedies is the exposure of people who are so disconnected from life and the vitality and the importance of life uh, and their humanity that they were able and willing to just give everything up for indefinite, an indefinite period of time until their Lord and Savior Fauci told them to. It's very, very bizarre and very frustrating. Yeah, no, very well said. I, I think, you know, one of the ways I look at it is, is I, I too, I, I won't, I, I literally will not trust or, or on some level forgive some of these people ever, ever again. And my compassion such as it is, is that I think they live just in terror, constant terror. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that any constant terror will take any organism and wear it down, myself included, right? And and so, but they've consented to that. And that's where I kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of on you, honestly, in some way, but, but they are terrorized. And think about, there was a great, great, great article by um, Lieb, Liebwitz. What's her first name? I forget, but it was, it's called The Turn. And she's describing growing up, she, she's a, a liberal you know, progressive Manhattanite. And she talks about what it was like to be inside that club, you know, and, you know, you'd say all the right things and you get invited to the right parties and you might find yourself sitting next to like some really famous, you know, progressive person. But she realized over time that she'd said something wrong at one point, you know, she's an assistant professor, I think somewhere said something wrong. 
And a friend of her took her aside and said, you want to retract that? Because, you know, you could get kind of excommunicated here. Like the whole, like this tribe of people, as long as you are perfect and infallible within the catechism of the moment, you get to stay there. But the minute you slip up, you're gone, baby. Right. And that's, think of the terror of that. Cause your whole identity is wrapped up in who right. I am and what I do. And you are one slip up away from not being part of that anymore. That's anti-human. We're humans. We're messy. Sometimes we're our higher, better selves. Sometimes we're triggered and our little three-year-olds, you know, stomping across the stage. Um, but you don't get any mess ups. It's fundamentally anti-human. So I don't know how you take somebody who's in, put themselves in a fundamentally anti-human spot and said, now be more human than human. Right. That's the conflict, I think, that that I see stood up there. Well, it's so, you know, I was in that machine and I was advancing in that machine. And um, even, even before COVID, I felt so, um, I, I've, I've termed it the erosion of the soul. And one of the paradoxes of acting is that, um, you know, the, the, the further away, like the, the great teacher Uta Hagen described it as like, you know, you, people say you're getting lost in a character. That's not true. What you're actually doing is that you're finding yourself in the character. It's, it speaks to mm. our shared humanity. So if I'm playing Hamlet at the beginning of the play and I'm grieving because not only has my father died, but my uncle has swooped in and married my mother. And then I find out the truth of, um, I mean, I think that play is so misinterpreted. I mean, it's, it, it begins, the inciting incident of, incident of that play is, you know, his father, a, a ghost in the form of his father comes in. And this is a guy, Hamlet is very, he's very intellectual. He's, he's in school right now. You know, he's studying science and philosophy, all these things. He's a, he's a very heady person. And the language throughout his play, he's very just, he's very quick. But he has this spiritual awakening, I think, when he's visited by this ghost. I don't think he's ever seen anything like that before. And this ghost mm -hmm. says, not only did, you know, not only was I murdered by my brother, and, you, you know, he also seduced my wife. And now you have a mission, a sacred mission, to, to use what you said, to avenge my death and to, you know, and, and, and do all this. And, and um, it, it's, it's... um. Oh shoot! I forgot why I went into that. It was it was really it was really um, there about was really a point to human, it. About um, being more human, human. There, there's there's something about oh it's oh shit it's gone now. I, I'm I'm so embarrassed, but it's it'll it's, come back. <laughs> ho hopefully it'll come back. It, but it, it, I guess I'll just return to this idea that it's been so frustrating because you you have people oh that, that's what it was and. Um, you know, there's, when you're in that machine, um, that's right, the erosion of the soul. So there's sort of like a soul, a soul experience that's going on and, and, and an awakening. And, and once I realized that, I was like, that's so, that's such a powerful, powerful thing. And maybe that's one of the reasons that we still perform this play hundreds of years after it was done. But over time, you know, I, I one of the paradoxes of, of what we do, that's what it was. Okay, it has come back. So, you know, I have to find my own way into whatever Hamlet's grief is and into whatever that experience would be of being lifted out of myself and being just, and being awed and stunned by, uh, by something I've never seen before. He has a line, he says to Horatio, something about, um, you know, there, there is more uh, in, in, heaven and between, in heaven and earth, Horatio, that then can be found in your science. And, uh, and it, you have to find within yourself the, the ability to connect with a thought like that and the gravity and the profundity of that thought, um, as opposed to getting lost in it, which implies you're reaching outside of yourself. So the point of all of that is that, uh, 
you you lose a um you you're finding yourself in your character so you have to be in touch with your own humanity is is the point in tune with your own um your own humanity your own emotional makeup your own temperament in order to play these other characters and what i found is that over time i had to keep lying to myself that uh, you know people would talk about toxic masculinity or they would talk about uh, you know when when trump got elected everybody's brains got broken i mean i didn't vote for the guy but i mean people just lost their minds and i said i'm just going to shut up for the sake of preservation, self-preservation, like uh, like the the Leibitz, uh, woman you were talking about, because if you step anywhere out of line, you're homophobic, you're racist, you know, you you're a Republican, which is the worst thing for uh, ever to be. And over time, I would see other people who were had this kind of dead look in the eyes, and I call it the the erosion of the soul. And one of the paradoxes of acting is that if you the more you divorce yourself from who you really are and your and your authentic self, the more difficult it's going to be for you to tap into that authentic self to play the part. So you're cutting off essentially a, 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 an entire piece of your own humanity and, and deadening yourself. And so how can you produce great work like that? And the industry is full of people who are doing that on a day-to-day -day basis and increasingly so because we're asked to believe more and more ridiculous things that we know that aren't true. Um, and just a really, really long, long-winded way of talking about, uh, of getting back at what you were saying of this, there's a an emptiness and a void um, in this, in these people. And, you know, I can't trust them anymore because I don't, I don't think that they have the wherewithal to know what's actually wrong. And on top of that, you know, I mean, craft aside, they don't have the, they don't have the awareness to be able to create work that could touch people like you and I, and, and really hit on our humanity. And that's why I think they'll be irrelevant. And again, I just don't trust these people anymore. Sorry, that was so long winded and sort of windy and, and windy. I, I'm tr again, I'm tracking you here. So th this is a really important conversation because um, uh, my, my, my glib metaphor for this is that watching the onion try and be both funny and woke is one of the more painful experiences I have. Right. I, I <laughs> you know, capital T try like awkward, like it's just not funny. Right. So you can't no. do those two things at the same time, but Fundamentally, uh, and I'm going to put a very broad classification, we'll call it the wokesters, right? So what do they want? They want something that I fundamentally disagree with so deeply, it's it's impossible to overstate how viscerally I'm against this, because what they're saying at the surface is, Clifton, you're responsible for never saying anything that might offend me or trigger me. Now, you don't know me. You don't know what kind of childhood I had, who my mom and my dad was. You don't know what kind of bullies I might have had or not had or whatever. You don't know anything about me, but you are responsible for my experience. And I hold the trump card in that arrangement, which means by definition, if we agree to that, right, you agree, I agree. That's the agreement we go into in this woke culture. We're never getting to what you just talked about, which is that the only way I actually get to know myself is when I get triggered. I don't know myself through my peace. I know myself mm. through my turmoil, right? Is that not art? Is that not like, um, you know, you know, all, all our, all our great artists seem to, you know, lop their ears off and do crazy stuff from time to time. And, you know, things happen. Right. Um, but, but it's, but it's that there, that this idea that the request, which I fundamentally reject is we don't want you to be in touch with yourself. Yeah. We don't want you to have any awkwardness. We don't want you to have any authentic experiences. We don't want you to feel anything in our perfect world. Everybody's, nice and calm and non-triggering yeah. and nothing ever happens I'm like well how do you that's not life like it's so fundamentally not life i don't know how they don't see that yeah you know it, it makes me think of two things one i worked with a director once who said that uh, you know if 
if you had a Billie Holiday or a Nina Simone and they tried out for like America's Got Talent or The Voice or American Idol or whatever, you know, whatever the fuck these shows are, they wouldn't even make it past the first round. And uh, the second thing is that, you know, because everything now is so focused on this sort of how shiny is it? How glossy is it? And can we sell it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the, ma the amazing things about Whitney Houston was that she had the, the gloss and she had the power, but she also had control and technique and she had a depth to her soul, to her, to herself. Um, and she was a great storyteller and communicator. But um, second thing I thought about is, um, you know, when I was in conservatory, uh, in, in, which is basically grad school here, you had the opportunity to sit in on auditions of prospective students. And um, it was really, really in, uh, informational because you would see, you know, these people come in and do their thing. And everybody, you know, most people were, they were nice. They were bright and shiny. They were friendly and they were you know, hi, good to be here, yada, yada, yada. And they were okay at what they did. But the the faculty, the teachers, and you, you're talking about people who've been teaching for 20, 30 years in this program. They've seen some of the finest actors, some of, some of your favorite actors mm -hmm. go through this program. And they said, you know, increasingly, we find it more and more difficult to find people who are willing to live, like they, they said, in the cracks. You know, so you, you come in, you, you have, I mean, I remember my own audition. I, I, you know, I came in, I had my, my lines prepared or whatever. And it was the moments where they would give me an adjustment and say, you know, try it like this or have this, try it, you know, with this thought, you know, we can see that you know it, but you know, in this situation, maybe you can try it this way. And then once you begin dropping into your authentic self in that moment and, and let go of this idea of, I have to play this scene a certain way, then you're, you become rooted in your way of playing the role, which is what the audience wants to see. They want to see you playing that because they want, they're looking at your humanity. They're looking at your flaws. And it's really, really vulnerable and really scary. And not a lot of people can do it, but they said, you know, we're, we're meeting fewer and fewer people who are willing to go there and who even are capable of doing that or even have that kind of depth within themselves, even on, on a language perspective. You know, when, one of my classes we had, um, it was a voice and uh, speech class, a text class, and we were assigned these Greek messenger speeches. And so in all these plays, you have this one character who comes in at the beginning and then at the end with this like two page long expository speech telling all this stuff that happened, you know, back, you know, off, off stage. In a lot of these plays, there's like wars going on in the background, basically. And um, but you as an actor have to activate that text in some way and and to convey to an audience um the the enormity of these events and and make it visceral and 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 when you see an actor who can do that it's very very powerful but mm. there's few actors who are a who are a have the musculature to, to even do that but b are even willing to 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 plunge themselves that deeply they, they don't want to occupy that size and that space and i think it goes back to what we've been talking about there is a dearth of spirit of soul or something there is a void there and um it, it, and everyone everyone can see it <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting is that is so is that vulnerability um or is it is it even more than that is it being willing to find things in yourself even you weren't aware were there in the moment it's, uh, it's, what, what, where does that go it's it's both of them i mean one i mean i think like i said before we live in a very cynical um culture and especially when you're talking about sort of left-wing ideology it's very you know, I noticed this when uh, South Park came along, it became very popular. I mean, it's very funny, but it's, you know, kind of this sort of snarky, um, I'm going to comment on everything and be removed from it and very cynical about it. And so you have this layer of armor up all the time. You know, you don't want to expose yourself and, you know, and it's, and it's a, a natural defense mechanism. You don't want to be expose yourself to any sort of emotional pain or, or harm. 
And on top of all of that, we have this technology. So we're always, you know, we're facing down here. I was, I was explaining to somebody the other day, a really, a really young person. Um, she was talking about her posture. And I said, you know, we spend so much time looking at one of these things and we're, and we're, we're facing downward, we're facing downward, we're, we're disconnected as opposed to being up and out with your, with mm. your, your chest open, just your, just, just your, your, your body being receptive to the world. It's a very, very exposed and vulnerable place to be. And it's not where we like to live because it's just, it's very, very scary. So I think it's, it's, it's technological, it's cultural. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just really removed. But like I said, it's really, it's really fascinating because I'm seeing all kinds of people who are realizing this now in the wake of, uh, of COVID. And it's very exciting. And, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, me, me too. And, and, and I'm actually, this is where my hope lies in all this. We'll get through this, you know, um, mm. but some better than others and all, all of that. Uh, the, the thing that I find myself battling that I don't think I appreciate it as much as I do now, and maybe I should have more earlier on was just the, the power of narrative and just how controlling it is. And mm -hmm. what I disagree with is that the keepers of the narrative right now, and they do it both overtly, covertly, they do it with blunt force, right? You know, every doctor agrees. Well, that's true when, when you've canceled all the doctors who don't agree, right? You know, so I've watched this narrative thing shape out, you know, around COVID, around this, that. But when you have a bad story, when you're running a story that's fundamentally wrong, you can sometimes make some bad decisions. My larger architecture is we're at a really critical part of human evolution on this planet, not U.S., not Chinese, none of that, not left, not right, not woke, not conservative. As a species, as a biologist, I will tell you, we've done what the, the yeast do in a vat of sugar. We've eaten into our primary food source without a lot of concern for what happens when, not if, but when that goes away, right? So and, and so we have this other narrative that's come in shape, and we're about to see in Europe how stupid this narrative was. And this narrative was, we're going to replace high net energy, dense, tasty fossil fuels with windmills, right? Listen, we might be able to offset that a little bit, but when you study it at all, like you scratch at it with your fingernail, you hit primer instantly. You're like, is there enough lithium? Is there enough copper? Is there enough cobalt? The answer is no, right? Instantly. It's not even like close, right? It's like we would need, we have 3% of what we think we need for some of these items, right? It's like not even close. And still it's our dominant narrative. And I watch these, all these protests, you've probably seen them. They come across Twitter, right? Spray painting the Aston Martin thing, throwing, you know, soup at, at a Van Gogh, right? There's a lot of young people who are caught up in this narrative that simply says, we just have to get rid of oil. And they don't have, they don't have the cognitive capability of connecting that dot to the next dot which is with what, right? right? They just have this this false narrative, this like, we just, all we need is more solar panels and windmills, but it doesn't even remotely pass the, the scratch test or the sniff test. It's just like, it doesn't work. So I think that level, when we see the fear that's being felt, the anxiety, where either you're red-pilled or you're blue-pilled, right? You either, you know, understand this stuff and fall down that rabbit hole, go through the emotional pain of, realizing how many lies you've been told and the belief systems you have to abandon and the people you thought you trusted and loved. There's a lot of giving up and gaining too, because we get to find each other and there's a cool crowd of people over here. But on this side, the terror must be amazing because you have to believe in something that even your, your brainstem or your cortex on some level is telling you it's completely full of shit, right? 
that's hard, right? That's a hard place to live because you have to do a lot to keep everything at bay. And I think it's exhausting to try and pretend like everything's okay when it's not, right? So quick example, all these people, Trump, worst thing ever. We have to get rid of him. Sam Harris, he, he, if an asteroid's coming to the earth, you do everything you need to do to get rid of that asteroid. That's how bad he is. He was going to destroy everything. And now we're under living under a president where great relief. We got rid of Trump. We've got this great guy called Biden. Inflation's like at 50-year highs. We're running out of oil. We're at the brink of a nuclear goddamn war, right? There's all kinds of stuff going wrong. But in the narrative world, it's like, this is a better kind of wrong. And I'm like, how is this? How does that even work? <laughs> it's so bizarre. Completely mystified. It's so bizarre to see so many people be so completely nonplussed and nonchalant about the prospect of complete annihilation, and that people are so stuck in this in these um, in this narrative where, where they'll just say, and, you know, and I haven't commented very much on the conflict going on over there because I just don't, frankly, don't know that much about it, but. Um, I've noticed that if you make even the slightest bit of commentary, it's like, oh, you hate Ukrainians and you're pro-Putin. And I'm like, no, I said I don't want everything to blow up. <laughs> how, how did you get how did you get that from from uh, all that from me saying I, I want to avoid um, nuclear annihilation? It kind of reminds me, you know, I, I wrote down a crash course because I, I did watch that a long time ago. And that was one of those things. It was, it was back. I actually saw it. Probably shouldn't have watched it because. You know, there was a point. Uh, this was early on in 2020, where I was I was yeah. stuck in the in in my shoebox apartment, and I, I I didn't seriously, dude. I didn't I didn't shower for about four weeks, and I only left the um, the apartment to go get groceries, and um, it was very very dark. And when I watched the crash course, um, it didn't help much. <laughs> <laughs> and so now with everything going Sorry. on, with I mean, well, I mean, thanks, but like, but now watching everything going on, it's like. That's why I said, you know, I'm going to call this dude Cassandra, because it seems like all the things you were talking about years ago, I mean, I don't even know when, when you made that, but um, it's like it's all coming to pass now. And you see these ridiculous, you know, you know we look back at, you know, Stalinist regimes or, or Maoist regimes, and I, I say to myself, how can these people not have seen ahead of time that they were putting in these policies which would lead to mass deaths? It's so ridiculous. That's why I, that's why I can't be afraid of these people because I think they're so stupid or maybe they're ideologically possessed. But, um, you know, when I see, uh, you know, the Dutch politicians saying, oh, you know, scale back your 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 livestock by 30 percent or what I'm like, dude, people are going to starve. How can you not see that coming? <laughs> you know, we're, oh, we're going to replace everything with windmills and electric cars. Elec Electric cars are still cars. They have to be built. There have to be resources that go into making them. You know, there are batteries in there. Like, how can you not see what, what you are doing? I'm not saying that what you're saying isn't valid, that there's not a problem that needs to be addressed. But the way you're going about it seems so ridiculously off course that it's, again, it brings me back to that question of, is it incompetence or is it malevolence? It's so hard to, to, to suss it out at this point. Well, they're indistinguishable is the problem. And mm. and so uh, at one level, it doesn't really matter because they both bring us to the same spot. Right. On another level, it does matter because if it's real malice, we can identify that and get these people out of power. Right. And then we have a shot at this. And so right now, I mean, you know, so if, if I if I had a magic policy one, people like, what would you do? Like, well, oh, my God, there's so much, there are these people doing these brilliant things called permaculture, right? Permanent agriculture. And they go out and they figure out how to work with nature brilliant people you got your joel salatins your gabe browns they're doing it at scale we could feed the world the soil would improve species would get better everything's better right 
except these people don't get any resources whatsoever. They have to, you know, fight hard. And, and, you know, Joel Salton wrote a book at one point called everything I want to do is illegal. <laughs> and this guy's just a farmer. He just wants to feed people healthy food. Right. And it's all illegal. It true, truly is. Right. So, um, but you know, if you want to, you know, harm people with your Tyson factory, you know, GMO, you know, neonicotinoid spraying like disaster zone go for it we got all the support in the world right so so we could we can do a lot better but the first thing is we have to get people in you know who understand and can think just common sense we're really uncommon but it's just common sense honestly if people ask me like chris are you a truth teller i'm like no but my bullshit detector is fine (laughs) i can smell bs a mile away which often helps me get towards closer to something i think is common sense or truth i would never pretend to know what the truth is but but i know where we're where we're off the rails right and so i look at what we're doing 40 50 60 billion to ukraine we haven't put that much into permaculture by a factor of 10 less ever right you know um china's busy building fourth generation nuclear plants thorium reactors they're they're busy making microgrids over there. They if you go to Beijing right now, it used to be all bicycles, then it was all cars, and now it's all these really rational, perfectly sized electric vehicles, three-wheeled things to take things this far, bicycles, you know, larger things. So it, this is the future, but we're not even remotely close to that future here in the United States or Europe. And that's what I see happening. I can't distinguish between a planned destruction of our economies right. or an unintentional one. But if it's unintentional, man, they just flipped heads 10 times in a row in this story, you know, and and managed to come up with destruction every single time. This is going to be really bad in Europe. We all get to see just how bad it is. You know, Germany, 100-year-old, multi-100-year-old companies going insolvent right now. Oh, fertilizers down 70%. Aluminum manufacturing is down 40%. People are going in, into forests right now taking, get, trying to get firewood. It's It's yeah. insane. Yeah, they're they're stealing firewood. I just got right. a call from the guy the other day. They have armed guards at the pellet plant because people are stealing the wood pellets, right? Um, yeah, no, it, and that happened just like that. I mean, we're about to see that energy is everything. One does not fantasy wave our way to a new energy future. We'll just wreck the fossil economy so that we can build up this green economy. Like, no, 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 no. Build this one first. And if it really works, great then trust me, the world will be the path to your door. Maybe you saw Jacinda Arden the other day. I was like, what? well, we have to, you know, uh, combat misinformation because if there are people who don't believe in climate change, how can we ever get anything done? Right? It's like, until everybody believes something, nothing can happen. Like, hey, Jacinda, ignore those naysayers. Build out your alternative energy future. And if it works, you'll be a hero. People will come streaming in to see how New Zealand went about this, right? Uh, but they have this crazy idea that unless everybody's a true believer in their narrative and in their ideology, well, we can't get any make any progress, right? You know, it's the b- most bizarre thing. Yeah, I mean, tell me about it. So, I guess the we we can wrap up on. We've talked about so many uh, so many negative aspects, and uh, you know, I know you're a man who likes to give people. Um, um, options on what they can do. So what what can we do in order to navigate the um, the extremely turbulent waters that we face ahead of us, in your opinion? Oh, there's so much. Um, and, and so honestly, you know, I, I my, my advice to people is listen to as much of the Cassandra as you need 
to go out and start doing new things. Like the, the minimum amount of information to let go of that old story and start going towards this new story. So we're in this awkward period. We're in what we call an interregnum. The old king is dead. We don't know which of these ne'er-do-well uncle or sons is going to like take power. It's a really awkward period. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Old story, new story. All right. So over here in this new story, we know some things. We got some variables, right? We're probably not going to just be printing money out of whole, you know, forever and ever. You know, we're going to have different resources, all that. Um, and we're not going to have as much energy to, to work with, blah, blah, blah. But over here, there's a really, there's a much better life to be had. So I think people need to become resilient. You need to understand that there's going to be massive disruptions coming to the old way of life. If you are 100%, like all of my happiness is this old way of life continuing, you're in for some disappointment. So how do you build resilience? Uh, we counsel at Peak Prosperity eight different forms of capital. Of course, it helps if you're rich, but you know, guard your wealth, your financial wealth, financial capital. You need material capital increasingly now. So as supply chains get a little shaky, you know, why not have like a deep pantry? Um, you know, if you can, if you have a house, the opportunity to maybe insulate it a little bit better, uh, put solar on things like that's material capital. Skills, the number one thing I advise people to beef up on right now, you know, no, this isn't a skill. A skill is you went out. Maybe you went on YouTube, you saw how to like, you know, make alcohol on a still on YouTube, but then you practice it, right? So, so get real skills because those are portable and you can learn them for cheap or if not free. And by the way, they have value. So lots of skills, building, planting, constructing, making, not destroying, making things, right? That's, that's awesome. Um, your social capital, super important, super important. Not just how many, not how many people, you know. But who do you trust and how much can you trust them and how and how do you go about deepening that that trust with the people, you know, but out of all of these, the one that's actually the most important. It's emotional capital, spiritual capital, I mean, be rich in all these other things, have a great house, deep pantry, good friends, but if you fall apart at the first sign of trouble, no good right so the emotional capital spiritual capital really, really important in this story, and if I could grant people one thing it, it would be that it just it clifton it just it kills me to see all these these young people who who are demoralized you know just don't have the 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 alon the, the the verve in life anymore that that just have sort of given up um because because they're they're trying to force fit themselves into the wrong model um mm -hmm. by the way when you are demoralized quick tip it does usually these are our smarter people too the, the more intelligent they are, usually the more demoralized they are because they have they, they know how screwed things are. Right. Um, but you don't fix that by taking a drug, getting better, you know, by by getting counseling, get, you know, have your therapist tune you so you can fit into this better. Mm -hmm. It's to recognize that you've actually sussed the situation out correctly and you can't fix this. So you need to be over here doing these other things. Right. That's that's the place to be. So that emotional capital really important and it begins and this is why i do what i do it begins by you have to let go of this part first and that's not a rational process that's an emotional process mm -hmm. nature and in its infinite wisdom didn't build a whole new human brain out of whole cloth we started with a reptilian brain we wrapped an amygdala an emotional center around it and then the cortex came last and each one of those was like a a bill gates you know windows crappy ass like you know slap on upgrade um, so we still, you know, talked about how we we're, we're 
we're about the narrative. We're about the stories. We're humans. We got to make sure that our own internal story matches this reality that's going on out there. We want to start working at that level and make sure that that emotionally we give ourselves the time and, and the freedom to be human, to make mistakes, to let go of things, understanding that it's not one and done, got the right download from my therapist and was able to just let go of stuff. It's a spiral of learning and deepening and growing. So that's really my invitation to people is see what's happening as clearly as you need to so that you can begin to let go of it. Know that's going to be a process. Give yourself compassion for self, compassion for others, and just know that there's a brand new future coming. Always is, but this time it's a big deal. This is humans up against a, a worldwide set of limits, and we've never been there before. So this is no right or wrong answers. You know, we'll make a few mistakes. We'll get some things right, but you got to be in the game just to have that, I think, to have meaning and purpose in this life. You got to be in it. And so it's not over here. It's not, it's not, it's not here. It's, it's, it's with, it's with real people doing real things and, and um, giving ourselves the latitude to build knowing as all entrepreneurs know the way you build stuff is you make a lot of mistakes as quickly as you can and you learn from them and you keep going. So that's my invitation to people is, is uh, believe your gut. If it tells you some, something, something, something about to happen and do something with that information and uh, use that as motivation to, to expand yourself into this one precious life you got. You know, um, I can't think of a better way to end the conversation that the word that keeps coming back to me as you were speaking, uh, or kept coming back to me is nature, getting in touch with not only nature, as we understand it, you know, mother nature, but also our own nature, as human beings, you know, you're, you're getting signals from the outside world that something is wrong. You know, I've began to interpret the, those signals as me, my body telling me, maybe not even my body on a physical level, but maybe even on a spiritual level is telling me something is wrong, something is not right. And perhaps it's, I'm going against whatever my nature is. So I don't want to uh, get too, too, um, too long-winded on this, but uh, thank you very much, Cassandra, for joining us today. And, um, you know, we've, I think that um, you've done such great uh, valuable work. I've already thanked you, um, at least online, uh, but uh, but but I'll thank you again for uh, just helping me and millions of others. I'm sure just see the light and and honestly, you know, we can always highlight what the problems are. But uh, you're you're someone who is highlighting a new way forward. So thank you very much for that, Dr. Martinson. Oh, my pleasure. And it's been a, a real honor to get to know you and and uh, anything I can do. To help you, because the artists are going to lead the way in this. I'm convinced. You know, we, we this is a wordless. We we need to be head. We need to go in a new direction, and people don't know what that is. That is the unknown. And but you know, we need the courage to go into the unknown. And that to me, that's always come from the arts. Always. Well, you know, who else said that was uh, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kulldorff. They both said that separately to me, and. Um, you know, I will say to give to end on yet another note of hope. There are artists out there. We're we're slowly coming together, um, and and we can see what's going on. And so hopefully that will create a, a new renaissance, um, and uh, we can help get ourselves out of this ditch <laughs> that we find ourselves in right now. 
Oh, we, we will. We will. But it's all hands on deck and we need everybody, you know, in there, uh, you know, with us in, in the ditch, help, helping, helping get us back out of it. So that's the invitation. Come on. It's fun. It's really cool. People are hanging out in the ditch. Let's go. <laughs>